Welcome to the Ridge Community Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button and find us online at theridgecc.com. At our website, you can catch up with everything that's happening at The Ridge, watch previous messages, and learn more about who we are. If you want to watch services live, you can catch them every Sunday via our online community at live.theridgecc.com. We hope this message inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, hey, great to be with everybody. Glad that you're here, uh, no matter where you're joining us from, whether it be uh, from Oak Creek or Greenfield or right here online. Welcome to the 50s in February. How good is that as far as that's concerned? Yeah, that's right. Give a little round of applause as far as that's concerned. For the, for the God of the weather, all right? We'll, we'll, we'll give, give him a round of applause. No, hey, uh, great to be with everybody. And uh, hey, next week, uh, I'm excited about something that we're starting. We're starting a brand new series uh, that we're calling Signs. And uh, every week, I'm going to sing signs, signs. No, right? actually, uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're, we're actually going to look at uh, six signs that Jesus did. And what's interesting is that we wouldn't call them signs. We would call them like miracles. Uh, but they called them signs, and they called them signs uh, for a reason. And we're not only going to talk about what that reason is, but uh, what, what's great about these signs, uh, it's one of those series where as you kind of walk through them, a bunch of different stuff will kind of rise to the surface, uh, things about faith and life uh, that we often wrestle with, that we have questions about, and uh, all these signs that we look at are actually going to point to many of these things. And so what I love about this series, this is one of those series that's going to cause us to wrestle with some things and some important questions that we may have about life and about faith. And so next week, uh, we're going to kick this off. And so I hope you'll be back next week. You'll bring a friend to come with you. And uh, this is actually going to take us all the way through Easter, if you can believe it. Easter is not that far away. And uh, so we're going to sign it all the way uh, through Easter. Now, today I'm excited about and uh, if you're here and uh, you're not, you're new, or maybe you're not a church person, or you're, you're not a Christian, uh, you just need to know that today is not a normal message for us. Uh, but uh, if you are, if that is you, I'm glad that you're here because here's what you're going to find out. You're going to find out that you're a priority for us. And the reason that you're a priority for us is because you are a priority to God. Now, today what I'm, I'm going to do is I'm going to have what I call a family chat. Now, growing up in, in, in the household that I grew up in, we only had two family chats, and both of them were to announce that we were moving. And so as you can imagine, I didn't like family chats very much, you know, because family chats for me meant bad news. And so now in our house, Donna and I, we decided that uh, when we had family chats, and we weren't going to have a bunch of them, but when we, we were going to have them, uh, they were not going to be bad news. Uh, they were going to be good things that we were going to talk about. And so uh, for us, it would be things like, you know, we'd sit around the table and we'd be like, all right, all right, guys, uh, we have three options where we can go on vacation. Where would you like to go? Or uh, it would be, be, hey, we got this opportunity to do this together as a family. Hey, uh, let's do this together as a family. And so for us, family chats meant opportunity. Family chats meant uh, here's something that we can do together so we can grow Together. And so that's what today is going to be for us. It's going to be a family chat, and uh, I'm going to talk about some opportunities that we have that are going to impact uh, us both individually and us as a church. And there are going to be some things that, honestly, that we're, that we're going to do and discover together uh, because these are new things for us. Now, for, for some of you, you never, you've never heard the story uh, of our church. And our church is actually 13 years old. We are, we are very young. Uh, as far as the church is concerned, I like to say we have just started the rebellious teen years, which I, I really love. Hopefully that's exactly what they're going to be. And I'm a big sports guy. 
And so for me, I've always seen the church as a team. And I've seen my role, it's kind of a dual role. I've seen my role as, as kind of a coach for everybody at the same time. Uh, I'm a player because I'm on the same journey everybody else is. And as I look at the first 13 years, I, I kind of see our first 13 years as like the first half uh, of a sporting event. And as I look back at the first 13 years, while far from perfect, because you know we're, we're, we're made up of people like me, and so far from perfect, uh, for the first 13 years, there's just been some really, really great things that have happened. Uh, you know, I, I think back to uh, the first 13 years of our church, and I can't help but think back to my own faith story. Uh, maybe you don't know this, but I actually grew up in Wisconsin. I'm a Wisconsin kid, and I grew up going to church, but then I walked away from church when I, when I, when I left for college. And then it was in my early 20s, I just had this feeling that something was missing in my life. And then so after uh, searching for a while, I discovered what was missing, and I made a decision to follow Jesus, and uh, it, it absolutely changed my life. And uh, I found forgiveness, and I found peace with God that I never knew was there, and uh, I found a, a purpose for my life. Well, th that decision happened uh, two years into dating my, my future wife, Donna, and uh, we started dating actually when we both weren't Christians, and so I can still remember when I told her of the decision that I made, because she had no idea if any of this was going on behind the scenes, so to speak, and so I, I told her this, and here was her reaction. Are you going to be weird? And... Um, <laughs> I don't even remember what I said as far as that's concerned, but she, she still may think the answer is yes to that, even to this day. Uh, but here's what I said to her, because we were dating long distance at the time. And so I said to her, I said, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I said, I just want you to find a church and uh, just explore this for yourself. And I, I thought that was kind of an easy ask on my part, uh, but it ended up not being a very easy ask. And uh, for her, she would go to a church, and then she would call me, and she would say, um, I, everybody knows the answers. I don't know any of the answers. And uh, she'd call me again, and she would be like, I, I just really didn't feel like I belonged there or they really wanted me there. Uh, everybody was, was dressed more than me. I came in there in jeans, and people looked down on me and, and all that stuff. And so this went on for months for us. And then eventually she found a place. She found a church for people uh, that accepted her, and eventually she made a decision uh, to follow Jesus with her life. And as we look back at our story... God really used two things in our life. And, and the first thing was, is he used individuals who had a heart for people like us. And he also used a local church that had a heart for people like us. Well, shortly after making a decision to follow Jesus, I, I started to wrestle with, with a question, which at that time, I didn't realize just how big of a question uh, this would be in my life. And the question that I wrestled with is this, well, why don't more people go to church to learn about Jesus? I mean, why don't more people do this? I mean, I'm kind of looking at my own life and I'm going like, man, the love and grace of God, this is the coolest thing in the world. And it's free and, uh, you know, all this stuff. I mean, why don't more people do this? This is amazing to experience. And so then I began to, to look at the life of Jesus. And as I read about the life of Jesus, and I read about the life of Jesus with very, very fresh eyes, uh, I discovered that when Jesus walked the earth, people who were nothing like him liked him. I mean, they were attracted to him. They were drawn to him, that they actually wanted to be around him. But that was not the experience that Donna and I had uh, for the most part in our own lives. And so I saw this huge disconnect. And the disconnect was what I was reading about Jesus and the experience that we and many others were having to this day. One of my favorite uh, stories that illustrates this huge disconnect was when Jesus invited Matthew the tax collector 
uh, to be one of his disciples. And inviting him to be one of his disciples, he was inviting him to be in his inner circle. And when he did this, this was beyond jaw-dropping back then. And here's Matthew actually describing this, his story in his own words when Jesus did this. And here's what Matthew says. He says, hey, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man, uh, a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, tax collectors, uh, they, they were uh, on the bottom of the social ladder. I mean, these were considered the worst of the worst people back then because they were considered traitors and cheats. I always, uh, when, I, when I talk about tax collectors, I always say, hey, as a comparison sort of thing, I want you to think about maybe a person or maybe a group of people for some of you that when you think about them, you just go, disgusting. They absolutely disgust me. Just at the thought of them. This was all tax collectors back then. And so, it says, and so Jesus says, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and he followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Now, when we read that, you know, we're kind of like, well, that's not that big of a deal. You know, just having a little dinner and all that stuff. But back then, and for, like I said, for us, it's not a big deal. But back then, this was a huge deal. You see, when you would have dinner with someone back then, it meant that you were now associating with that person or that family or that group. That meant that you were basically saying, hey, they're one of me now. And so, hey, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, <laughs> many, many tax collectors and sinners, I love that, not necessarily like it was just a small group, you know, I mean, many started to join him, many tax collectors and sinners, they came and ate with him and his disciples. And so here's, here's tax collectors and sinners, the bottom of the social rung, so to speak, back then, <laughs> on their own, they came to eat with Jesus. And, and, and here's Jesus. I mean, this broke so many social norms back then. that we, I mean, it's unbelievable. And Jesus was saying, and eating with them, he was saying, I'm associating myself with this group of people right here. These are my peeps, so to speak, or these are my posse from now on, if you want to say it that way. And then it continues, it says, hey, when the Pharisees, and so the religious leaders step in, when they saw this, <laughs> and you can imagine what they were thinking, they asked his disciples who were thinking the same thing they were. They were just kind of like, we followed him, we don't know what he's doing as far as that's concerned. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now that question was not only a big question back then. I believe that question is an important question for every person who follows Jesus and every local church. Why? Why? Why did Jesus do that? Jesus answers. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. Understand, he's talking to religious people here. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, this is so huge, because for them, they, they leaned towards sacrifice. And when they were talking about, when Jesus is talking about mercy, what do you do with mercy? Mercy is something that you extend to another person. Sacrifice back, back then was done for the individual. It was done on their behalf. And so Jesus is like, hey, take the sacrifice thing out for a minute. That's about you and God and all that stuff. Here, here's how to be about you and God. Extend mercy to someone else. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. In other words, Jesus' heart is for Jesus' heart breaks for the tax collectors and sinners of the world. He came to make them healthy. In other words, like he did for me, like he did for Donna, and like he did for so many of you. 
He came to offer them what he would later call life to its full. So I'm reading about the life of Jesus. And, uh, you know, when he walked the earth, people who were nothing like him liked him. And so I'm a logical thinker. So I'm thinking, well, if that's the case, then here's what, what, what should happen. We, those who follow him, we should have the same kind of, of experience and impact that Jesus did. That people who don't, for whatever reason that they don't, they should be drawn to, they should want to be around us. Which then led me to a, a, another question. I think this is a, a very important question. And the question was this. What was it about Jesus that attracted and drew people to him? And once again, I'm kind of reading through all this stuff, you know, and, and I'm just looking at his life, and people are attracted to him. And then as, I, as I'm kind of reading about his life, there's just a couple things that just kind of bubbled to the surface for me as I look about how Jesus lived his life. And one of the things, I mean, people, every person, they just felt loved by him. That Jesus believed that every single person was made in the image of God. Therefore, they have the highest value in God's eyes. Now, how do you treat someone or something that has high value? Highly. And they also felt accepted. That even though Jesus was around crowds, this is an amazing thing, he's around these huge crowds, but he always dealt with and saw individuals. And so he would look at people and say, I know what you've done, I know what's been done to you, you matter. Hey, come, come to me as you are. Just come to me as you are. It's, it's okay. Come to me as you are. You matter to me. And then they felt safe. You know, it was okay not to be okay with Jesus. You know, it was okay to come and go, hey, listen, I don't believe in any of this stuff. It's okay. You know, I'm a tax collector and sinner. I know it's okay. Hey, I have doubts. Listen, it's okay. Just come as you are. This is a safe, I'm a safe place to bring all that stuff to and then as I looked at all three of these things, wrapped around all of this, was that person after person experienced that they were a priority for Jesus. And so only for me, only four years after making a decision to follow Jesus, I probably did this because I didn't really know what I was doing four years into it, but I, I actually, I, I made a bold move and I left the, the corporate world and decided to give my life to serving in the church world. And a few years after that, I was serving at a, a great church in California. I say great, especially during January and February, if you know what I mean. Uh, it, but a great church in California. And then we were approached to consider starting a, a church back here in Wisconsin. And I remember my first reaction was, everybody goes to church in Wisconsin. Why would you want to start a church there? Well, I found out that's actually not the case. Actually, only 10% now uh, attend church in, in our state. Actually, uh, Wisconsin is one of the least church states in the entire United States. And so 13 years ago, Don and I moved back here and I start this church. And or as we like to say it this way, we wanted to st start a church for people like us, that we wanted to start a church for people who have walked away, fallen away, and never been, that they could come and uh, they would be loved, they would feel accepted, and it would be safe because the group of people that were already here saw them as a priority. And the reason they saw them as a priority is because they were a priority to their Heavenly Father. Well, when we launched 13 years ago, back to the sports analogy, we launched with what I call a bunch of rookies. A rookie pastor had never done this before, a rookie staff, they had never done this before, and a rookie launch team. There was actually 24 of us all together, and we had no clue what we were doing. In fact, I always say, we still don't really know what we're doing, uh, but we had no clue what we're doing, and even though we had no clue what we're doing, we were very clear on why we existed, 
And uh, this is still a reason for today. Uh, we exist to help people, not manipulate, not guilt, not coerce them, you know, not like, hey, if you come here, this is going to happen. And then we go, ah, I fooled you, you know, this really actually happened. None of that. That we actually help people find, like Donna and me, like many of you, we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. And let's say follow, man, once you make that decision, then you get to the beautiful journey of discovering what does it mean to journey with Jesus. And so we said, okay, let's do this thing. And even though we had no, no idea what we were doing, God seemed to bless our focus on our mission. And that 24 began to grow, and it began to grow, and it began to grow. And we saw people making decisions uh, to follow Jesus with their life. And then as we saw these people making decisions to follow Jesus, we're like, well, we got to baptize people, you know? Uh, but we were meeting in a movie theater at the time. And I don't know if you know this or not, you can't baptize people in the movie theater, you know, because there's no place to do that except for the soda fountain. I guess you could probably do that, but that would be kind of weird. And so we, we started asking churches around, like, hey, could you have you know, a place where we can baptize people, you know? And there was only one church uh, that said, yeah, you can, you can come here. And it was shaped as a barn. So we used to call it the barn church, you know? And so we used to grab, we used to just get a bunch of people and we'd see people get baptized, uh, b- baptized there. And uh, it was just a powerful, powerful thing. And uh, then, you know, we just continued to grow. And then a few years after that, uh, the location known here as our Greenfield site opened up. And uh, that was a monumental type move. And I don't need to tell you the story because I told that story uh, a couple years ago. Uh, but six or seven years ago, we moved in on, on Easter weekend, which we weren't planning to move in on Easter weekend. We wanted to move in before that. But uh, all of a sudden, here we are on Easter weekend. And uh, just in the years that followed that, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of people of all ages and stages and different backgrounds in their life make decisions to follow Jesus. Now, as our church has grown and uh, it, it, it's increased in its influence and its exposure and all that stuff, we began to ask a question at a higher level that we have already been asking all the way through, and that was this. How can we make our community better? How can we let our community know that we are for our community? And the reason why we would ask that question and we want our community to know that we are for our community, because if our community knows the local church is for them, God seems to use that to let them know that he is for them. And so in our short history, we've given away well over a million dollars as a church. And uh, this has gone to, uh, we kind of have like the parameters as far as that's concerned. We want it to go to churches. We want it to go to children, especially at-risk children, children in need, and poverty. And things that are going to break poverty cycles. And uh, these have gone locally, and uh, they've gone internationally as well. But uh, just kind of a, a little side to this is that our heart really beats for the local church. And, and not just this local church, especially the local church uh, in, in the community that we live in. Because, you know, we're not competitors. We're all on the same team, as, as we like to say. And so much so that we started to do some unorthodox things as a church. We started going to churches that were growing and having expansion programs. And they would do these capital campaigns. We'd say, do you mind if our church gives to your campaign? And they'd be like, what? You, this, but this is not your church. We're all on the same team. And so we started giving uh, to other churches' uh, campaigns and growth campaigns. In fact, a couple weeks, a couple months ago, a local pastor called me, and uh, he said, "Hey, uh, would you just pray for our church? We're getting ready to move into our first facility." And uh, he said, uh, "We we had the money to raise, put a down payment on a building, uh, but we don't have enough for for the closing costs. I just want you to pray for us, as, because we got to raise this money in in a month." And I said, hey, do you mind sending me all the materials from your campaign and the building and all that stuff? He said, sure, I'll send it. And so he sent it. And I thought, we need to give to this. 
And so uh, we wrote a check, our church, and it, for him to get his building. I called him, and I said, hey, are, are you okay if we give to your, 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 your need? And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, do you mind if we do that? He was like, oh my gosh. And he's, he got like teary-eyed, you could hear on the phone. He goes, I, I cannot begin to tell you how much that means to me. And I get to announce that uh, to our church, that your church is behind our church. I said, yeah, you bet we're behind your church. Well, a couple weeks after that, he texted me this. And it was the picture of the closing documents uh, right here. And uh, he, he sends us, he says, Would you, he goes, this doesn't happen uh, without, without the ridge. And he says, would you tell your church thank you on behalf of our church. And so I'm here to tell you, thank you, uh, because your generosity helped another church in the area get into a building. And you see, I love that, because here's the thing that means, because when they win, we win. And when they grow, we grow. Well, as a church, our, our philosophy has always been, uh, we, we want to go to where people are. We want to go to where culture is as far as we don't expect people to come to us that that we go to them and so one of the the movements in culture that that we've seen over the years is that people are connecting digitally before they connect physically and so a couple years ago we began to ask okay what does it mean to connect digitally with people um, so we can help them find and follow jesus and so uh four years ago we actually launched online church we were the first in the area to do it and uh, what's been kind of neat about that is that we, we are really seeing that, that people's first visit isn't into a, a building anymore. It's online. And uh, they're going there before they come here. And now uh, the digital thing is just kind of growing and growing and growing. And now we have like Roku and Apple and, you know, all the social channels and online groups and just all these different things. And it's just kind of fascinating to me that we can actually connect with people now from all over the world. And then, you know, as we, as we kind of looked at where people are, are going and going to where they are and all that stuff, uh, in our Greenfield location, we saw a definite pattern in where growth was happening, and it was moving towards uh, our Oak Creek Franklin area. And we finally said, well, we don't want them to have to drive all the way here. What can we do uh, to go to them? And so on our 11th birthday as a church, we actually launched the Ridge Oak Creek campus. And uh, in fact, there, there's Forrest and the team right there. Uh, and, and so Oak Creek... On our 11th birthday, uh, we got to launch you and to see what is going on there uh, and what God is doing there. I mean, the same things, honestly, that are happening here in Greenfield and online are now happening in Oak Creek. In fact, in a few minutes, you're going to hear a story uh, from one of, one of someone at Oak Creek and just a powerful story of what God is doing there. But now we're one church that meets in multiple locations. And so, Oak Creek, can we just give you guys a round of applause because you guys are doing such great stuff. And Oak Creek, you got to put up a force every week. So, you know, just for that in yourself uh, is a big deal. No, just kidding. Now, here, here, here's where I want to land with all of that today. Um, we are in, back to kind of the sports analogy thing, we are in what I would call halftime as a church. And do you know what uh, good teams do at halftime? I mean, if you watched the Bucks game last night, you know, you saw this very, very same thing, speaking of a good team. Uh, what do you do at halftime? Good teams, they make adjustments. And they make adjustments so that they can continue to do what they do and do what's needed to win. And the win for us is, is the same. It's helping people find and follow Jesus. Now let me tell you why we need to make some adjustments right now. Over the last few years, uh, we've experienced a seismic shift in culture at large. So much so that every local church in the entire country ha has, felt, has felt this. Uh, studies show now that 96% of local churches in our country have either plateaued or declining 
Think about that for a minute. Only 4% of churches now in the entire country uh, are growing. And I'm telling you right now, our church for the very first time is in that 96%. We have experienced a leveling off, and we have never experienced that before. And so we've been asking the question, okay, God, what does this mean? What adjustments do we need to make and so we can continue to do what you've called us uh, to do? Now, here's, here's the seismic shift that's going on in culture right now. Sociologists say that we have now entered for the very first time what is called a post-Christian culture. As, as Christian historians and that look at, look at the movements of history, they really see three movements. They see a, a pre-Christian pre-Christian time, which is the time where uh, in, in our time, in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, this is God kind of beginning to reveal his plan, but Jesus, he hasn't sent Jesus into the world yet. And then the Christian era is when Jesus has come, he's risen from the dead, and uh, the disciples and, and all after that are going and telling people about Jesus. But now, we've entered what's called a post-Christian culture. And a post-Christian culture means this, people know, and the answer is no. They don't want it. They have already formed perceptions and opinions about church people, about Christianity, and they aren't very good. Or as I like to say, people are still interested in Jesus. <laughs> they don't really care about his friends all that much, if you know what I mean. And you, you know, you've probably felt this uh, if you're a Christian, but you, you, know, you, you didn't say, well, we're living in a post-Christian culture, you know, because that's not how you're thinking. But it's kind of like this. It's why talking about God and talking about church, it's like there's categories now, or it's like it's off limits to a large degree. Uh, about 10 years ago, that was really never the case, or not to, not to this degree. And you look around, it's like people don't really care or aren't even interested, or so it seems that way. And so as a result of this new time that we're in, it's created what I've called a larger God gap. Now, there's always been a gap between, you know, God and church and, and where people are. Uh, for, for, you know, in the Christian era, and this would be a, a picture of the Christian era, uh, some reasons for that gap is just some of the horrific things that have been done in the name of God throughout history. Uh, a lot of judgmentalism, a lot of hypocrisy, moral failures and cover-ups and different things like that, scandals that you've seen. And so people have kind of started to move away. But as we've entered the post-Christian era, it now looks like this. The gap has gotten much bigger. And as this gap has gotten bigger, so have the needs in our community, which make a whole lot of sense because we were created to walk with God. And when we don't walk with God, we experience the brokenness of not walking with God. I mean, this is why things like, like divorce rates and suicide rates, addictions, segregation, division, all that stuff is on the rise. And people are, are looking to get those needs met in some way. I mean, they're looking at, at the government to do it. They're looking into culture to do it. But those needs don't seem to be met because they were never meant to be the places to get those needs met. So as we move forward into 2020, I want to touch on three things that our church is going to focus on as, as we move forward in, into this new year. And uh, three things that, that I believe that, that will keep us connected to the very calling that Jesus has, has called us to be a part of, his calling. Or I like to say, these things are going to do this. They're going to they're focus us to go into the gap. That they are going to be very grassroots. They are going to, as I like to say, we're going to get our hands dirty 
uh, as we move forward. Now, when I tell you what these three things are, let me just kind of give you a, a preface on this. When I talked to the staff about this a couple months ago, here's, here's how I started it. I started with this. As, as we focus on our three things, these three things are going to be some of the most what I called uh, uninspiring things on the surface. Now, how'd you like that kind of rod your staff up and you kind of lead with that, you know? You're like, hey, no wonder no one wants to work with you, you know? Uh, but no, I mean, because on the surface, here's what you're going to find. On the surface, these just seem so uninspiring. But when you go below the surface of this, and as these things begin to settle into us, I am telling you, these things have the potential to lead to just some huge impact for us, not just in the short term, but these are going to lead to some very big things for us in the long term as well. And so three things. Here's the first one, is that we're going to equip our entire church to invest in year one. Now, last fall, I, I introduced the, the, this term here, year one. Year one is, is you're a Christian, it's a person in your life who, who just doesn't follow Jesus. And as a church, we talk a lot about this. We talk a lot about invest and invite, that we want everybody to invest in your one and uh, do life with them, let them do life with you, and not because people are projects, because people are not projects. People are a priority. And the reason they're a priority for us is because they were a priority to Jesus. And then, when the time is right, invite them somewhere. Help them take a step. Maybe you invite them to a starting point group or a meal packing event or maybe a Christmas Eve service or, or maybe an Easter service. Now, because of the post-Christian culture that we live in, um, people aren't as open to an invite, at least initially speaking, because of that gap has gotten bigger. And so before we can in invite, we've got to spend more time intentionally investing in people. We've got to develop trust again with people. And as I began to have conversations with people around this church about this whole idea of invest and invite, I kept hearing responses like this. Well, I want to help people take, take steps in their faith journey. I just, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to have uh, spiritual conversations. I, I don't know how to help people. I want to. I just don't know what to do. And so we're in the process of creating some great resources uh, that are going to help you so that you can help others. Now, as I look back at our faith journey, this was a game changer for Donna and I when we, when we first became Christians. Uh, for, for me, I've always had a heart for uh, people who don't go. That's why I was wrestling with those questions, you know. And so I just became, I became a Christian. And, uh, and so what I would do, I was like, well, I'm going to tell everybody about it, you know. And uh, so I had no idea what to do. And so I would go to people. I would do just the cheesiest things, okay, anything to kind of bridge the gap. And so I'd be talking with someone, and someone would say, oh, man, the sun is really hot today. I'd be like, yeah, not as hot as hell. Do you want to know about Jesus and, and all that stuff? <laughs> and I know this is going to be a surprise to you. I didn't get a whole lot of good response from conversations like that. But I would do that with everybody. And then here's Donna. So I'm an extrovert. And Donna's an introvert, you know. And so she would look at me and she'd like, I I'm an introvert. I can't do what you do. And so she would be very, very discouraged. And then um, we, just, we just went through a process where we just began to learn. What does it mean to just help people? who don't know Jesus, just take steps, and uh, like, like people did for us. And so uh, we went through a process where we, were just, we, we just really learned how to do that. And, and I'll tell you what, it took me and my extroverted, abrasive approach, and it made it more intentional and helpful. And then Donna looked at that, and she goes, wow, God can use someone like me, and we have never been the same since. And do you know what has been the most game-changing thing about that for us? Is that God has started to use us to make the biggest impact 
that you can make on someone else's life. And that is helping them discover the love and grace of God through Jesus Christ. We get the privilege of doing for others what others have done for us. And so this, this first one, we're going to talk a lot more about this in the weeks and months to come. It's going to be some really cool stuff that are coming down the pipe. And once again, this is going to be a very, very impactful thing that we do as a church. Now, here's a second one. We're going we're gonna to experiment ways to expand our digital footprint. Now, technology, <laughs> I know this isn't new, but technology is just continuing to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. In fact, uh, I was reading a couple weeks ago that, that we touch our phone an average of 2,600 times a day. Think about that, 2,600. Some of you have touched it 1,300 times just during this message alone, you know? <laughs> When's it going to be done? When's it going to be done, you know? And so everything for us is at our finger, fingertips. And so we can either ignore it or just like we've always done and what, what God has called us to do. We can leverage it and go to where people are. Now, this is where a really cool opportunity for us uh, has become available. We've actually been invited to be a part of a three-year research and development project uh, when it comes to this whole idea of, of expanding the digital space uh, and God. Mid-last year, a couple CEOs from some big tech firms got together, and uh, they started to ask the question, how can we use digital technology to reach the next generation for Jesus? And so they put together this three-year deal, uh, three-year R&D sort of thing, and we are one of a handful of churches that actually got invited to be a part of this, this three-year project. I don't think, I don't think there's 10, uh, but we, we've gotten invited to be a part of this. Now, this is cool. We're talking about uh, things at a very, very high level. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned the idea of a virtual reality church. Uh, we're talking about uh, experimenting with ways to plant digital churches and what that might look like in the future. Uh, we're talking about ways to, to leverage the, you know, the digital space to launch new physical campuses and, and all that stuff that just kind of being played around with right now. This is just a huge opportunity for us. And because of that, and because we were asked to do this late in the summer, our budget had already passed uh, for the year as far as that's concerned. And so uh, we're going to need, and I'm, we're, we're going to need 25 grand uh, just to get this up and running. And because uh, we don't right now have the foundation from a technology standpoint to do this and what's needed to be done. And so if you feel, if God puts on your heart that you're able, you're able to give towards this or you want to know more about it as far as before you give to it, that's completely fine. Uh, just send an email there. Uh, I'm kind of hoping in the future, uh, very near future, that we're able to have a digital pastor on staff. And uh, that's all they do is from a digital standpoint. Because come on, we know the next generation. Everything is digital for them. And if we don't get our act together as a church, we will lose uh, this next generation because of it. Final thing. Final focus is we're taking the year to pray about the location of our next physical campus. That uh, our dream has never been just to be about one location, uh, but to be a church that multiplies churches and, and campuses. And our focus, at least for the next five to ten years, is actually on what we call Southeast Wisconsin. And the reason our focus is here is because this is not only the fastest growing part of our state right now, it is the least churched part of our state uh, right now. And so just like we did with Oak Creek, as we just begin praying about what that's next, we're just going to go, okay, God, where are, you, where are you growing? And then we're just going to continue to move forward to go like, okay, God, that, you made it very clear that we're going to go to where people are and put our next physical location. So those are the three things that uh, we are putting our energy and time on over this next year. Now, you might be asking, okay, hey, that's great. What do you want me to do with that? 
Well, here's what I want you to do with this. I want you to begin praying something that uh, I have been praying over our church for the last six months. And uh, over the seasons, uh, over the life of our church, there have been different prayers that I have prayed over you and prayed over our church. And then the season will change and there'll be something else. And uh, this prayer that I, that I want you to start praying, uh, this is something that's interesting. I, this just kind of popped into my head six months ago. And I don't know why it popped into my head. Okay, I'm not going to, you know, overdo it or anything like that. But I just popped into my head. It's just stuck with me. And uh, this prayer, when this settles into you, uh, this is a dangerous prayer. Because when this settles into you, you can't remain comfortable with this type of prayer. This is a movement type of prayer. And here's the prayer. Here's this. God, give us a heart for you and give us your heart. Give us a heart for you and give us your heart. Now, this first part, give us a heart for you. This is a really important thing to pray because here's the thing. We don't gravitate naturally towards a heart for God. This is something that we have to ask for and continue to ask for. This is something, and this is kind of just, you know, once again, just kind of mysterious about it. This is something God has to give us. And so we have to ask for. And once again, this is where you can tell when this is happening. It's when you get a little uncomfortable with things. This is when you start to think different things from a priority standpoint. This is where you, you, you think thoughts and you're like, ooh, if I did that, that would mean this, this, that would mean sacrifice. That would mean, ooh, yeah, that's good. And then the second part, and give us your heart. One of the main ways you know, and we know that we start to have a heart for God is that when we begin to have a heart for the people who have fallen away, walked away, or have never been. I mean, this is God's heart. Matthew's story, that's God's heart. Uh, my story, Donna's story, many of your stories, that's God's heart. And God will, you know where you get it, he's going to start to nudge you and nudge me into the gap. You know, th this is one of those things that, you know, we love the first part of that prayer. It's like, hey, that's really cool, you know. But the second part, we don't love that as much. But I'm telling you, this second part, you begin to just feel that and sense that and move into the gap. I'm telling you, this is where God begins to make the greatest impact you can ever make on someone's life. And when this happens for you, you will feel so alive. It's why stories like Arthur's move us so deeply. Uh, life for me before the ridge looked like... Um, working a lot of hours. Part of it was to get away from home life a little bit. It was a lot of arguing, you know, things that came from the past. A lot of separation between my wife and I. I knew he felt sad, like, because I could see it in his eyes, like he would, like, start tearing up every time I talked to him. And he'd be like, I love you, son. I'm like, I love you too, dad. And my mom would tell me the exact same thing. Throughout our past, there's been a looming threat of separation or divorce. Um, and I feel like I always did just enough to not suppress it, but like just kind of make it go away. But this was, this was real. Uh, divorce was filed. You know, she had her lawyer I had my lawyer, it was moving, I mean, it was moving forward. It felt like the right thing to do. Um, seeing us fight or argue or not show affection to each other, that's how I grew up. And I didn't want that for them. A few weeks went by, 
um, I started having this feeling like, why, why is this happening? But then there was that weekend, uh, Sunday morning, she was coming to the ridge and I mean, at that point I was kind of a little down, a little depressed. God was like talking to me. He was like, you need to bring him. I didn't know it was God at first talking to me. I thought it was just like voices going on inside my head. I'm like, it's kind of creepy. And I almost chickened out. I'm like, I don't think they're ready for each other yet. But when I saw the look on my dad's face, like him crying because we were leaving again, I'm like, I have to do this. I have to bring him to the church. Every word that was said, um, it was like I was being pointed at directly. But we got home, and before we even got in in the in the back door, you know, I stopped her and I said, "Like this is all wrong. I don't want to. I don't want this to happen." At that moment in my life, God definitely came through my son and reached out to me. And I'm so thankful for that. You know, because I don't feel like it just saved our marriage and our family. But it truly saved my life. I have not lived until the last year and a half. And now I feel I feel full. I feel humble. I feel complete. And now that I'm learning and I'm growing in my faith and building relationships with um, other men of faith, I know that that gap is closing. It's really phenomenal on what God can do and how he does it. Six months later, he asked me, Evan, you want to baptize me? I'm like, I started tearing up. I'm like, I would love to. So when the day came, I was like shaking really bad because I'm like, I don't want to mess this up. And when I, when my head touched his head before he went under, all that, like God talked to me and then all of that stuff that God talked to me about went out of my mouth and to his ears. And then I dunked him under and brought him back up. And it was, it was one of the best moments of my life. He, he grew my faith by helping him. It's like, I knew instantly he was real when my parents came back together. I was like, he is real. God is good and God is great. Back then, it was just all gray and stuff. Like, no colors were added or anything. We were just all quiet, no conversations between each other. But today, it's like a rainbow. There's shot over our house and brought in all the light to our house. And now we're always talking to each other, having conversations. Having found God, knowing his love, and how a father truly loves a son. I know I need to show my kids different. I know I need to teach them different. You know, these four people that I live with in my house are the people I love the most. They deserve everything from me. And I'm willing to give them everything.
That story right there captures the mission and the heart of the local church. And uh, that's ours right there. And I want you to know, I don't know if you know this in that story or not, the two things, once again, that are at work that God used. Someone that had individuals that had a heart for, for someone like Arthur. And in this one, it's his middle school son. I mean, that dude is going to take my job in 10 years if he keeps going, you know? <laughs> and then a local church, the Oak Creek campus, our church, had a heart for people like Arthur's. And I really believe, I don't care what the time we're in or care about any of that stuff, is that God is still doing that in people's lives and he's wanting to do that in people's lives and he's going to look for the same thing. He's going to look for a group of people that'll do that. He's going to look for individuals that say, I'm going to make other people a priority God. They're going to be a priority for me because they are a priority for you. And when I look at all the needs in our community, I don't know of anything else that can do that but the local church. So, God, give us a heart for you. And give us your heart. Because I know when that happens, that'll become a normal story for us. Hey, I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, when I'm done, I just want you to stick around just for, just for a minute uh, after I'm done praying. So, hey, uh, Father, um, that's our prayer. That's our prayer. Give us a heart for you. We, we want that. We ask for that. Uh, we don't even know what that fully means. But we want that. Would you move powerfully in our hearts? in that way. And uh, God, we, wanna, we want your heart. Uh, when Jesus walked, um, people were attracted to him that were nothing like him. God, we, we want that same heart, same priorities, same experience. May that just be prevalent throughout our entire church, whether it's online, Oak Creek, here, I don't care where it is. God, may you use us in that way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rich Community Churches podcast. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to host you at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and more about our kids and students' environments, visit us at theridgecc.com. That's theridgecc.com.